Well, this story just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? So far, Joseph has been hated by his brothers, stripped of his technicolor dream coat, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, shipped to a foreign country, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and then forgotten by the one person who might be able to do something for him. And then suddenly there's this remarkable turn of events. After two years, he's remembered by that former cellmate. He's released from prison, recognized for his remarkable talents, and rises to become right-hand man to the most powerful ruler on earth at the time. You forget about rags to riches. This is like pit to palace. But you know, as I got thinking about Joseph's story, it brought to mind uh, another story of another man's remarkable rise to power that has captured our imagination in recent years. I'm thinking of Alexander Hamilton. His name is Alexander Hamilton. The immigrant orphan who became a founding father who went a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter. Don't worry, that's all I'm going to do. You got to see the show. But think about the parallels for just a minute. Both men lost their mothers and suffered family trauma. Both men find themselves living in a new and unfamiliar land. Both men learn leadership the hard way, managing other people's affairs. Both men were recognized early for their quick minds and their work ethic. Both became second in command to people in power. Both played pivotal roles in, in the forming of their nation. And both of them had Broadway musicals made about them. Actually, there are even more parallels than that, but we don't have time to get into all of it. But why do we find these stories so intriguing? this pit-to-palace motif. Could it be because we like to believe that, that anyone can rise to a place of influence and, and, and power? That, that, that we could rise to a place of influence, that someone might recognize our potential and give us a chance to do something great? Well, so far in our series, we have learned that, that God is with us in hard times. He's with us when things go wrong. He's with us when our family falls apart. He's with us when we're tempted and falsely accused. He's, he's with us when life is a grind. We've learned he's not only with us in those hard times, he's actually working with us in those hard times to do something good in us and through us. But life isn't always hard. Sometimes things go right. Sometimes things go our way and an opportunity comes knocking on our door like when we get uh, an acceptance letter from that school we applied to, when a recruiter calls and offers us a new job, or, or the boss offers us a promotion, when the church or the community comes looking for volunteers, when a friend asks for our help or, or asks a question about our faith. How is God with us in moments like that when we have opportunities to do something good? In the words of the composer, Lin-Manuel Miranda, when Hamilton was handed a shot at greatness, he was determined not to throw it away. And 200 years later, we're still telling his story. Well, the Bible tells us a very similar thing about Joseph. And 4,000 years later, we're still telling his story. 
story that has remarkable relevance for our lives and for these unusual times in which we're living. So what does God expect from us when opportunity knocks? And what can we expect from God? Let's take a closer look at the story we just heard from Genesis chapter 41 and see what we can learn about not throwing away our shot. The chapter opens with the words, when two full years had passed. Now the, re the writer is reminding us that a long time has passed with nothing good happening. It's been two years since Joseph was forgotten by that former cellmate. It's been 13 years since he was sold downriver by his brothers. And except for a short promising chapter in Potiphar's household, there's been very little evidence that God is with Joseph in Egypt. But then, we're told, Pharaoh had a dream. Not just one dream, but two. Seven skinny cows swallowing up seven fat cows. Seven sickly heads of grain swallowing up seven healthy heads of grain. And when no one's able to interpret those dreams, the cupbearer suddenly remembers Joseph. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. Now he remembers after two years? Thanks for nothing, Joseph might have been thinking. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Now, we've pointed out before that this is great storytelling. And in great storytelling, details matter. So notice, Joseph was quickly brought from the dungeon. The writer wants us to understand how, how swiftly things are happening here. What a dramatic moment this is, from dank cell to the, to the king's court in one fell swoop. And then notice something else. We're told that Joseph shaved and changed his clothes before he came to Pharaoh. <laughs> Just try to picture that. Hold on, Joseph says to the jailer. I gotta change this shirt. I mean, it's crazy. You, you know what the writer's trying to tell us? Joseph was not throwing away his shot. If he had one chance to appear before the most powerful person on earth, he was gonna look his best. So that brings us to the first point I'd like to make today. The first thing the Lord expects of us when opportunity knocks, and that's to show up. Just show up. That may seem like a pretty obvious point, and you might say, well, what choice did Joseph have but to show up? But keep in mind how easy it would have been for Joseph to be angry and bitter at this point after the way he's been treated by this cupbearer and by the Egyptian authorities, interpret your own dreams, he could very easily have said. And think about how easy it would have been for him to be pessimistic at this point, to have given up hope. I mean, why bother? Why stick his neck out again? It hasn't gotten him very far to this point. And it's easy for us sometimes, when, when things don't go our way when we've been badly treated, when we've been disappointed time and time again. It's easy for us to give up, to lose hope, to stop caring or stop trying. But Joseph shows up 
with his game face on. Now he has no idea how this is all going to turn out, but he is not going to miss his chance. Now remember, Joseph, he has dreams of his own. Dreams of greatness, of, of sheaves of grain bowing down to him. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, maybe Joseph shouldn't have shared those dreams so brashly with his brothers. Maybe there was a hint of haughtiness that he had to overcome. But there's nothing wrong with dreaming big dreams for our lives, with believing that God put us here on this earth to, to do something good. And we have an opportunity to do something, whether it's small or large. The least we can do is, is show up and give God a chance to use us. Back in the late spring, when the racial justice issues had captured our nation's attention, we were eager as a church to try to, to lean into that, to understand what was happening, to speak into the moment. And so we put out a call for volunteers to lead Be the Bridge discussion groups. Something like 50 people showed up for the night of training. Now, this was a big ask. I mean, this is a delicate subject to try to lead a discussion on. Some of these folks had never led groups before. But they sensed that something important was happening. They, they sensed that, that, that God was, was on the move and they wanted to be part of it. And, and so they stepped into that moment. And because they did, we've had over 500 people involved in meaningful conversations about race. And, and we're hoping to do a second round of them in the fall. Has opportunity knocked on your door lately? An opportunity to, to do something, or say something, or join something, or start something? Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't let fear, or anger, or laziness, or, or discouragement, don't, don't let that get in the way. Just step up and give God a chance to use you. Show up. The second thing Joseph does here is he looks up. Now, I have a feeling it was actually the first thing he did, but it comes second in the story, so that's how we're handling it. The Pharaoh says to Joseph, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. And look how Joseph responds. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So right from the get-go, Joseph recognizes that God is in this moment. Now, we lose a little something in our English translation. In the original Hebrew, the way the sentence is structured, God comes right up front, as if it's one of the very first words that comes out of Joseph's mouth. So even after all the bad things that have happened to him, after languishing in prison for two years, the moment an opportunity comes his way, Joseph looks up and looks for the hand and voice of God. Now, again, it could have been really easy for Joseph to leave God out of it at this point because so far it doesn't seem to have gotten him very far. He could very easily have relied on, on his own good looks, his own, his own good luck, his own skills to, to get him this next job. But when the moment comes, Joseph looks up and invites God into his experience. Well, 20-some years ago, opportunity came knocking on my door in the form of a letter from Grace Chapel, inviting me to consider becoming the next senior pastor of the church. You know what I did with that letter? I shoved it in a drawer. I didn't even answer it. I don't think I even told Karen about it for a while. 
because we weren't interested in leaving. We, we liked our life, our work, our church, our home. It, why, why would they want me? What did I know about leading a large church in the heart of Red Sox Nation, no less? It took a couple whacks in the head from God to get my attention until I realized that he was the one knocking on my door. And I'm sure glad he did. Now, does that mean every time opportunity knocks that uh, you're supposed to say yes? Well, not necessarily. Every job offer, every request for help. We don't know where it's going to lead, but God at least wants us to look in his direction. To ask him, Lord, what are you showing me? What are you revealing to me, uh, to me in, in this particular moment? When opportunity knocks, look up. Listen for God. He wants to be with you in the decision. So Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. Only this time, the cows aren't just skinny, they're ugly. <laughs> Ugliest cows I've ever seen, to use Pharaoh's words. And when he's all done, Joseph speaks up. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming, but seven years of famine will follow them. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Now, what usually happens to advisors who bring kings bad news? <laughs> right, they usually lose their jobs, right? If not, they are heads. So this is a risky move for Joseph to speak truth to power like this. But he decides to speak up. But notice a couple things about the way he speaks. First of all, from what we can tell from the text, there's a certain amount of uh, respect, even, even handedness about the way Joseph speaks. Now remember, this is a nation that has enslaved him and wrongfully imprisoned him. A nation that is a threat to the whole world and no friend to the Hebrew people. But Joseph shows no animosity towards Pharaoh. There's no delight, there's no gloating over this bad news that he's bringing. The second thing worth noting is that Joseph doesn't use any of the, of the covenant names for the Hebrew God, El Shaddai or something like that. He uses a generic name for God, a, a name, a term that, that the polytheistic Egyptians would have, would have understood, would have been comfortable with. Now, I might be reading a little too much into the text, but, but I find it interesting that Joseph speaks to Pharaoh in language that Pharaoh could understand, with relevance to the world in which Pharaoh lives. He points him in a Godward direction, but, but without attacking, without, without looking for a fight. And so the point, I'm trying, the point I'm making here is that when opportunity knocks, sometimes all we need to do is to, to speak up to point people towards God, to speak truth, but to do it with gentleness and respect in a way that people can actually hear it and, and process it without feeling threatened or attacked. I got an email from a Grace Chapel friend just this past week, and she describes an interesting situation. She writes, I was in Starbucks. It wasn't crowded, and a girl walked in. She was wearing a black shirt with a satanic pentacle on the front, and on the back it said, Not today, Jesus. 
I felt compelled to say something, but I had no idea what that might be. Well, I like the fact that my friend recognized this as an opportunity. She wanted to speak up, but wasn't sure how or what to say. And I know, we we all find ourselves in moments like that, where there's an opportunity and and we don't know how to go after it. And first of all, I I, want to give her props for not saying something like, I hope you have lightning insurance, or don't look now, girly, but Jesus is right behind you, something like that. Now, I had the advantage of reading it in an email instead of kind of being there in the moment. But she might have said something like, tell me about your shirt. Remember how often Jesus led with a question? Or she might have said, I used to feel that way about Jesus too. Now, I have no idea if the conversation would have gone anywhere from there. But when someone wears a shirt like that, they're almost daring you to say something. Now, obviously, we have to be careful about this, especially in the workplace, that we're not stepping out of bounds legally or professionally. We don't want to be offensive or attacking to people. It can feel risky, because we don't always know how people are going to respond. But remember, we don't have to get them all the way to Jesus in one conversation. (laughs) Sometimes all we have to do is, is ask a question or share a little bit of our story. I think we'd be surprised how open people are to a conversation about God or or hearing about our church or even sharing a little bit of their story with someone who cares enough to ask them. So sometimes when opportunity knocks, all we have to do is speak up. Well, the final thing Joseph does here is to step up. Joseph doesn't stop after delivering this bad news to the king. He actually dares to offer a solution to the problem, and and I wonder if he did it with a bit of a, a twinkle in his eye. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And he goes on to propose a detailed strategic plan for seeing the nation through this crisis. Remember, Joseph has dreams. Now talk about a mind at work. It was such a good plan, Pharaoh says to his officials. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people will submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Next thing you know, Joseph is wearing the king's ring, he's rocking a new royal wardrobe, and he's riding around town in a golden chariot, the ancient equivalent of a stretch limousine. But it's not just about the show. The text makes clear Joseph immediately gets to work with energy and intentionality. For seven years, he travels back and forth across the land, overseeing the growing and the storing of grain. And for the next seven years, he oversees the sale and distribution of that grain to save the lives not only of the people of Egypt, but surrounding peoples as well, including his own family. And so it turns out God has placed Joseph in just the right place, at just the right time, with just the right skills to save people's lives and to advance his purposes in the world. 
And a similar thing is true for us. And I don't think we're reading too, this, too much into this story because we're told this other places in Scripture. That God can and will place you in just the right time, at just the right place, with just the right skills to, to do something good for the world around you. Something good for your family or, or for your church or for your community, your school, your workplace. And so when opportunity comes knocking, it's time for us to step up and put those God-given skills and experiences and wisdom to work to do something good in this world. As remember, the same spirit that Pharaoh saw in Joseph, the spirit of God, that spirit is at work in every one of us, gifting us for ministry, empowering us, to go out and do his work in the world, guiding us to particular times and places and people he wants us to have an impact on. What opportunity might God be asking you to step up to this fall? Now, most of us won't have opportunities for that kind of influence. But I believe that this fall, we will all have opportunities to serve our families, to serve our schools and our workplaces, our church, our community, maybe in ways we never have before because of this pandemic we're in the midst of. I believe this is a pivotal moment. I believe that this is a formative moment for our family lives, for our church, for the nation. And I want to be a part of whatever it is God wants to do in this season. So here at church, there are ways to serve if, as we continue in this online environment as we expect to be for a while now. We're always looking for people with technical and production skills to help with that side of the ministry. We continue to look for small group leaders to work with children, middle or high school students, or adults as we start and expand all kinds of groups this fall. And there are a variety of other ways as well. So if you'd like to find a place to put your skills and wisdom and life experience to work, just check us out at, the, at our website. Uh, or I will invite you also to a, a virtual vision leaders gathering we're going to be having on Sunday afternoon, September 13th, as we cast some vision for what God might be doing in our church this year. Now, those of you who are Hamilton fans have been waiting for me to call out some of the familiar lyrics from that show. Rise up. Tell your brothers to rise up. Tell your sisters to rise up. And that's what human beings were made to do with the gifts and talents and experiences that God grants to us. To show up, to look up, to speak up, to step up, to rise up and say yes to the opportunities God brings us to do something good in the world. Joseph was not about to throw away his shot and neither should we. Because when opportunity knocks, God is with us for good. Well, thanks for listening here today. If you have been joining us since we went online, if we've never had a chance to meet you personally, we'd love to do that. So a few of us are going to be hosting a virtual meet and greet right after this service. And we'd love to get to meet you personally. So you can scan the QR code there on your screen or just text the word meet to the number below. And we'll send you a link to a, a Zoom call that we'll be joining in just a few moments. I'll be there. I'd love to meet you and answer any questions you might have about grace. Now, next week, we're going to wrap up our series on Joseph. 
We're going to come to that climactic confrontation with the brothers who sold him into slavery. It's a great ending to the story, and I know you're going to be with us.